mental health can be a difficult topic to talk about. I'd like to change that. I'm Marcus Pipworth and welcome to the Ministry of Change podcast. Hello everyone. Yes, welcome to the Ministry of Change podcast. Um, oh, this week's been a tiring one and um, I'm not sure why. Yesterday I meant to get this out there, I meant to record this intro and do other stuff and I just sat there for oh, probably a couple of hours yesterday morning just really stressing over this and just trying to get the intro I even got to, I just suddenly got to this point where I felt like I was about to cry and um I just realized I'd sort of start getting so stressed about sort of making these regular and getting them out on time and spending too much time with other people I think talking about their projects and and uh, in the end I just thought basically fuck it and I went and just closed my computer and put on my walking boots and just went out for a walk or maybe walked for an hour or two and then I came back and I just felt like actually I don't need to do this today I it's a Monday, but I've done lots of work over the weekend, and I thought I'm just going to take this day off. I'm just not going to do anything. I'm not going to worry about social media or anything to do with Ministry of Change. And I ended up just sort of pottering around. Um, I watched Lord of the Rings on TV. <laughs> um, I read some books and I didn't really do anything and I felt good and and then I went to bed quite early and today I woke up and I felt refreshed and I felt energised, I had a call with someone this morning which will be uh, released as a podcast soon and I felt good and I just remembered that it's just so unimportant to compare what I'm doing with others and to also worry about what I should be doing and try and force things this is something which needs to come naturally and so I feel it's important for me to listen to what needs to be done at the time and not to try and make this something that it's not or build it into some stressful business and it's something I really enjoy doing I love making this podcast so much it fills me with energy it gets me out of bed it gives me purpose and I love it and so why take something that's working and make it stressful I don't know, maybe that's part of life, is that it's hard to just let things be. As I said, we need to always be achieving more and making stuff into anything else. So anyway, here I am today, refreshed, ready to go. And I'm excited to play this conversation that I had with Chrissy Kelly recently. Um, Chrissy got in contact with me and uh, someone had pointed her in the direction of something I posted. And we met up she lives in Peckham and so I went and met up with her in Peckham we went out for she treated me to breakfast which was nice it's always nice to be treated to food um and then we uh went to her house and recorded this uh really nice conversation she does so much important work I think she um she uh because she comes from a care background herself having grown up in care and she does a lot of work with looked after children and with teenagers around self-esteem confidence and breaking negative thinking patterns and it's really fascinating um that sort of world i'm really interested in it sort of the psychology of of how our minds work and uh and it's yeah so 
I think there was a lot of really meaty stuff we got into in this conversation and I yeah I'm really thankful that I met Chrissy and I think it's she's a nice person to know and I'm hopefully oh, get to hang out with her again more um, but anyway for now I'll, I'll, I'll move on to the conversation soon um, just before I do that I would love to just say thank you to all the people that have supported me on Patreon over the last few months it's really really helps me a lot uh, I put this podcast out for free I don't really earn any money for doing it but as I said I love it so much so any support that I get financially helps me so much um, in just being able to make these spaces for people to talk about mental health navigating life and really what it means to be human so again thank you so much to those uh, 20 or so people that have already um, given me some support and thanks for all the other people that have supported me in other ways so yeah I'll put a link down to the Patreon page if you do feel like you can support uh, and if you can just think of it as a sort of paying it forward for the people that can't afford to do it that you're sort of enabling this podcast to be made and for other people to listen to it and please do like review and subscribe to the podcast uh that really helps me reach other people but mainly please just enjoy listening to it so here is the conversation anyway between me and chrissy kelly recorded at her flat in peckham a couple of weeks ago enjoy if you could start by saying who you are and you can interpret that however you like okay so um my name is chrissy kelly i am like now i'm 49 i'm coming up to being 50 so it's been a really significant kind of life event that for me because there's a lot of um stories about what women are like at that age and my friends and i are trying to tip that on its head and we just been out in costa rica zip wiring, white water rafting, trekking in the jungle. And while I was there, I come up with an idea of um, 50 fabulous things to do before you're 50, or when you're 50, to just kind of change the narrative and the stories that people have around that. What, do you, what are some of those narratives? I think what happens is, and it happens to men as well, not just women, but what happens is... Um, people that have been parents and their children are starting to move away from home, go to university, leave, get married. And then there's the big concept of the empty nest. And an original idea I had a couple of years ago, which never really came to fruition because I didn't at that time feel so invested in it, was to tip that round and say the full basket programme. So rather than focus on what you'd lost, look at the opportunities that were coming your way when your, your children move on. Because your children are... are a gift really that they're not yours to keep they're, that's if that's what you're doing you're allowing them to go off and flourish and do what they want to do and, and letting go of that process is can be difficult um, I know when my son left home I, I I found it tough he was probably a bit younger than some young people he was 17 and he just knew that's what he wanted to do and so it's an adjustment period in that so I think after that, it's kind of looking at, okay, who am I now without those roles, without the role of being a mother and provider and doing all of that stuff. So there's a big expanse of space. That's how I've interpreted it. And what do I want to put in that space? Because I'm still, I'm still young. Like I was only 45 when he left 
home and so that's that's young that's not you know I could live hopefully for another 50 years so what am I going to do what am I going to put into that that's going to give value and meaning and what's the process that you're using to work that out I think for me um my so-called kind of career was very important so I'd been uh I'd gone through a certain process but I'd been a secondary school teacher um I love working with teenagers I think they get a massive bad rap like uh, teenagers are, are funny thoughtful wise being in a classroom when you shut the door and it's you and the teenagers is a great experience tough but a really good experience so I think I'd kind of become disillusioned with the education system and the messages it's sending to young people. And I'd come across some different understanding that I was really interested in. I'd always been a mentor. I'd always taken, when I was working in schools, the pastoral role. And I'd come across um, uh, an understanding of thought and looking at negative thinking and the impact of that and my first experience of that was to work with a gentleman called Richard Wilkins who runs the Ministry of Inspiration and yeah, um, I heard of that after looking into it yeah, yeah no and that's what made me see when I saw yours Ministry of Change isn't it your, yeah yeah so I it, it really clocked on my eyes because I thought oh um and he spent his life, the last 25 years, teaching people that they're not their negative thinking and they name it the script and they take you through a process of sharing your story and understanding how that a lot of what you think is actually not even your thinking. Imagine this scenario that you're born and you're just a, you're a beautiful, beautiful baby. You're, you're like a blank canvas and you come out into the world and then... I was born in England and so my scripts and my things that have been put onto me will be different from a, a baby that's born in Morocco. Just completely different. But the, the beginning is exactly the same with the innate needs and all of that. So it kind of re it really rang. There was, a, there was like a resonance with me of it. And I had a difficult upbringing. I grew up in the care system. I was in foster care. As a baby, went back to my mum who had a mental health issue. I only know that because I've been to look at my cases in social, for social services. So I found out certain things and um, I lived in a foster home with 20 other children. It's pretty crazy, let me tell you. <laughs> but yeah, and, and everything that you think goes on in children's home that you hear in the media pretty much does happen. Um, and I carried that. I kind of hid it but carried it, if you know what I mean. And so I suffered, yeah, I suffered not until I had my own child, really, did it start to come to fruition. Before that, I was just a party girl. I had a great time, naughty at school, never told anyone I was living in a children's home. It was, was tough. I had a tough exterior. I don't remember crying until I was 21. When I went, to, not 21, 19, I went to live in Greece. Spent about a year crying because I'd yeah. suppressed all my emotions. And then I became a parent at 23, which is young, I think, looking back. I'd been a party girl, I'd been on the rave scene, I'd like taken loads of drugs, loved ecstasy. I was like one of the people that had that beautiful experience 
in the early late 80s early 90s it was a we had a great time and then when I had a had my son then I started to think about hold on a minute I'm a mother how could your mother leave you what does that mean and then I began to suffer because yeah so I would use the word suffer I began to experience some mental health struggles of being a, a parent and um I found that I began to have panic attacks so I went to take my son out and I, I it was like the road was the longest road I've ever seen and it wasn't it was just a pedestrian cross I couldn't get across the road and I it was like the whole of the the road became like can only say it was like going in and out. I'd never experienced anything like it. And then, what on earth's happening to me? Am I going mad? Um, and then I just, I was on the tube one day and it happened again. I had to get off the tube and sit on the side and like, what is this? What is going on? And then um, I, I think I went down the traditional route. Originally went to the doctor and the nurse said, oh, that's a panic attack. What do you mean a panic attack? Like I'm like strong, resilient woman. I can't be having a panic attack. And they, she said to me that when you are sometimes feeling a more place of safety, suddenly you can experience things happening to you. And um, when you're in a place of safety, almost like when you're in that fight. When you're in the fight survival mode, which I'd pretty much been living my life in, okay. it was after I kind of maybe had a bit relaxed, I'd had my child, and suddenly it was almost like they were saying that when you're able to cope with it, then it comes up. So when you, yeah, sort of managed to create the space where you can deal with it, then it comes up. So you mean, so before that, you're sort of so engrossed in the stuff that's that's happening that it doesn't give space to the stuff that's underneath the surface yeah I think that 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 says it for me that was definitely my experience of it and I think maybe it was there but I was busy doing I was busy doing or busy distracting with alcohol and drugs and fixing trying to fix other people that was my little favorite thing oh well I know what's wrong with you I'll try and like make you feel better where actually what I really needed to do was take a look and see at that time, I thought fix myself, but I know now that, that not even that is true. So it was like, and then I decided I would move to Brighton when my son was about four, and I put him in school, and then I had another huge, I pretty much look back and think I had a, probably had a breakdown, like, or whatever, breakthrough, I like to call it now, of what was going on. I took a year, I was volunteering, and, and there, more space. And things came up. I remember taking myself to bed and only getting up to take him to school and pick him back up from school. And like being in like a lot of physical pain, physical, like in my body, a lot of pain. And like I remember being at the sink and thinking, this can't be how it should be. Just felt like I was. So I began the journey into therapy, psychotherapy, I started with. and it was really quite funny because I went with a list of everything that I thought was wrong with me and showed it to her. She did really well not to crack up laughing. What was on that list? Do you remember? I don't... I can visualise it, but I don't think... I think I was like, right, I, 
even really remember, but I, I, I think maybe things like I need to be able to get up, I need to be able to pay my bills, I need to not feel like shit, I need to not be in pain, I need to not shout at my child, I need to be a better parent. So it was all like, fix, fix, fix myself. Yeah. Why do I feel like this? This Why has this happened? That kind of list. I remember it being long and I remember her just looking at me going, and sort of going, well, put that down for now. And um, yeah, I spent, a, I spent probably a year seeing that lady. And at the time it was good. It got me back out. It helped, helped me a lot. And I used to find... Um, what I would do, I would find it very hard to get out of the house and I would talk myself out of the house. Like, literally talk about... I'd have to almost... And sometimes I would phone people. So I'm really hard, finding it hard to get out. And then I had a friend at the time and he'd be like, right, come on, like, just... You'll be okay, we'll just talk it through. And then I would start to feel better. And I would have conversations in my own head. And if I felt like I'd said something the day before that someone might be upset about, then I'd replay that conversation and think, right, how could I have said it differently? It was quite tormenting, actually, when I look back now, because it was like I was constantly either living in the past or living in the future of how that could be. So the past of what had happened yesterday and the future of I can't get out of the house today, that kind of madness, which is real kind of... But when you're in it, you don't you think that you're the only person that's like that but yeah. also then you sometimes know that you're not the only person that's like that it's it's a kind of weird yeah i know that there's this paradox of feeling yeah at once like you're the only person in the world experiencing things then knowing that you're not but it doesn't really help is that your that was my experience at the time being sort of crippled by that paradox and sort of confused by it and at the time where that was sort of the most crippling it was also the time where I was unable to talk about any of it so I was trying to do that all inside my head yeah I completely get that and I because I'd been what I considered to be strong and I hadn't um, gone down the route because what happens was when you come out of the care system often some of the scenarios are that, that you'll be a drug addict, you'll be in prison or you'll be dead. Okay. So in my head, I was doing all right. And then I was embarrassed. Like, I'm, I feel sad to say that, but I was probably embarrassed to tell people how, how much I was struggling. I wouldn't ask anyone to help me. Wouldn't. And it was a big step to go and... And if anybody ever asked me about my experiences in a children's home, I, I would feel anxious and not want to talk about it and that's one of the things that today my friends say to me yeah they sometimes they didn't know much about me because I hadn't not necessarily I don't mean just you need to heal it but I'd almost denied that experience do you think that's something common within a lot of people that go through the care system is that sort of a systemic thing or I think now I've done a lot of work I've worked as an advisory teacher for looked after children and you get two, you often get two sets of children. You get the ones that will want to make, be proud and, and be like, right, I'm going to involve myself. I'm going to make a stand. I'm going to talk about it. And then you'll get the other ones that do not want anyone to know. And I've worked with young people recently from that spectrum. And then the ones in the middle that are just 
like when we used to, uh, in my previous job I used to go to schools and support young people and talk to teachers and social workers and, and support around their education and sometimes the young people wouldn't even want you to come into the school so that is very much an independent individual situation and I think um, there's a lady that I love working with who does um, work around trauma and attachment called Lisa Cherry um, and she runs a foundation called No More Labels so basically looking at that like how it's very easy to put a label on not just a, a looked after child but anyone in general well they've been like that so that's the label some people find labels useful especially in the mental health system once you get a diagnosis it can be helpful as long as you understand that personally I feel that that's a diagnosis it's not who you are yeah I think that's an important distinction which can be hard to realize I know a lot of, yeah I've come across a lot of people that I do feel have defined themselves by depression or anxiety and I think I've definitely slipped into that myself but yeah it's important to realize that that's not your entire self is it I think what's lovely is like um I think it was probably with Richard Wilkins and Liz Ivory who run that program that I was talking about originally about around them coming into the understanding you're not your thoughts it's like a great way of of rephrasing that is to say I am doing depression or I am doing anxiety, not I am. Because I am is like two of the most powerful words in that you can say. I am, that's your identity. So looking at, say like you look at something like uh, NLP or CBT, which work on the level of behaviour. Eventually, while someone's saying I am anxious, they're going to do anxious behaviour. Whereas if we can go above the level of uh, the level of behaviour and look at some if you can change some, how someone funda fundamentally believes about themselves their identity that is really powerful so like some people I mean I went out a few weeks ago and a guy said to me oh, what who are you like and, and who are you or what are you doing and I just said oh I just I am because I have different roles but the fundamental essence of me is the fundamental fundamental essence of everyone I think and it's like, we were saying that, um, I'd say like recovery from depression and anxiety is possible in that old paradigm. But if you look at a new way of thinking around it, which is that it's a normal human emotion to be anxious, to be depressed sometimes, to be upset. Because without that, we haven't got the contrast of, happy or excitement or you know like uh, a practitioner that I've been working with recently said a story about um, a man had come to him with depression and he'd said how is that presenting itself and he said to him well you know I'm anxious I've got sweaty palms my heart's racing I feel like edgy um, my mouth's dry and he said oh okay and he was talking about it and then he said, so tell me something you love to do when you um, feel like you're at peace or you're at home or you're excited. So he said, well, I love going on a roller coaster. And he said to him, tell me about the feelings of being on a roller coaster. And he literally said, 
I feel anxious, I feel my heart pows, my mouth goes dry. He said, oh, okay. And he pointed him back to the direction of looking at that. And he said, he didn't need, and he didn't come back for the guy for more coaching around it. And I thought, just changing the narrative and pointing away to, it's a, it's a human experience. And um, I've been lucky enough to come to that understanding by understanding something called the Free Principles, which was uh, a movement, I think it started about 30, 40 years ago by a guy called Sidney Banks. But what it is, is it's actually old, innate wisdom that we all have. And it's just to allow your thoughts to pass and not to take any action based upon a negative thought. And I, I found that has brought me really like to a place of peace and now we're teaching that to young people well anyone who will listen we're teaching it to and we've got a bit of a movement that we're starting called no one is broken because the government are not going to solve this problem if we look at it as a problem or help us with the solution to move to back towards what's right with everybody like letting go of everything that's happened to me has made me see that I didn't need fixing. I had innate wisdom when I was a teenager. I knew, and teenagers know that. And and if we can point them towards knowing that, it's, it, it, you, some of the things that they say are massive. They're, you know, a young man said to us that learning this understanding has helped him and supported him. He doesn't. He he, he felt he had thoughts of wanting to kill himself, and so. I feel like my own experience, it's important for me to talk about my own experience, not from a place of horror story, but from a place to show that you can come to a place of peace, whatever your circumstances are, whether you've been sexually abused, you're in an abusive relationship now, um, you've got an eating disorder, or you self-harm, it's just a thought. And if you can take a moment and you can wait. I know I saw on YouTube the other day somebody doing something to support anger, saying if you can wait 90 seconds, the outcome will be very different. Because it doesn't take any more than 90 seconds to go on the street and stab someone. I was at the tube station in Dalston Junction. Um, I came through the tube and two young guys... um, said, looked at this other young guy's girlfriend and they kind of, all of this to her they were doing. And her, her part, the guy that she was with, her boyfriend I would assume, got really, really upset. You're dissing me, you're looking at, don't be saying that to my girl. And anyway, they start having an argument. Um, oh, you know, proper like, in the tube station big time. And um, I'm watching it and then the guy goes and he pulls his belt out like big leather belt and he goes to start whacking the other boy with it something inside me I knew I just got in the middle I just said listen one thought is going to change your life right now CCTV everywhere you're going to go the outcome think the outcome in this the thought and the action will be very different for you and he heard something in that moment he didn't want to obviously make it come down because there's a pride in that but I could looked in his eye I knew he heard something in what I was saying to him so it's really powerful so when when you know that it's just 
it's your thinking that's creating your experience don't take away from the experience we're never saying to people that if you've had trauma that you haven't had that trauma but what we're saying is that or trauma as a child you know because people get upset about that don't they if you say to them well what about if a child does something bad's happened to a child and you're saying it's an inside out experience but what we're saying is at some point in the now you can support even that child in in the now when they're feeling a certain way and show them that it's the adult that's got the wrong thinking and the wrong actions but they are innately wise and whole and don't need to be fixed so if you yeah that innate wisdom you're talking of what do you think if everyone has it inside of them what do you think stops people from being able to access that I think as a society, we're very conditioned to move away from it. Our values, some of our values are not necessarily pointing to that. So we, we grow up to achieve. There's such a massive thing about achievement to get the house, to get the car, to get the beautiful partner, to be in the system. And if we all know we're innately wise, and we don't buy into that, this construct of, of the society and the systems that we're living in will fall away. So there's a massive investment, I think, in that. And I really do think massively about the definition of an insanity, is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, and that's what we've all been doing for quite a while now. Like, so so to, to believe in yourself, in a way, is very countercultural. It's very... Um... You kind of hear a lot of people dissing people when they say, like, oh, I'm fantastic. So if you took a child, say, uh, who's about three or four, I was watching a young girl on the internet this morning, and she's at the front and she's dancing and singing and, and like, and she's just out there because she hasn't allowed the script yet to attack her and say, I can't do it. I can't do that yet. I, I stopped doing that. And the comments, some of the comments on social media were so fascinating, like going, oh, look at her, who does she think she is? She's going to grow up to be precocious, she's going to be... And it was so, like, there was lots of positive comments as well, but it was so interesting, like, that's the thing. Like, who did, you know, listen, some of the language that people are, oh, who do they think they are? You're too big for your boots. And so the the idea is to shrink us all, to shrink us back down and, like, you know innately we've all got that wisdom that's what we're here we're here to be wise we're here to have a human experience that's what we're here for and when we can tap back into it when we've forgotten because we've just I believe now we've just forgotten because when you come to that understanding you hear people say like I was working with some 15 year olds they said oh oh I know it anyway miss I know I know that I just forgot and we forget because we're layered up with, I've got to get a job, I've got to make enough money to pay some ridiculous extortionate rent. I've got to, I've got to achieve, I've got to have this big car. But when we come to innate wisdom and live the life that we want to live, whatever that looks like, alternative to you, what feels good for you. For me right now, I want to go travelling again or I want to go and do 50 fabulous things. Um you might be someone who wants to stay in the same place. There's nothing wrong or right with what you want to do as long as you are choosing it from a place of your 
your own wisdom. And I think the more we can show the next generation, our own generation as well, because there's a lot of suffering going on, but if we can show the next generation and they can bring up their children in that understanding, how different would that be? And I, I'm not very good at remembering like the names of who says things, but someone said it only takes 15% of the population to make a tip towards the other way. So saying to people that you're not broken, that you're resilient, you're, you're resilient, you can... I mean, look at what, the, look at what human beings can overcome... It's just incredible, really, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the big things I've learned on this journey and speaking to all the people is just the fact that people go through so much stuff, so much, just so much shit in their lives, but people come through it and they come out stronger and just just really, like, more beautiful people because of the way they managed to navigate all this stuff it's just the the amount of stuff people can hold within them is just amazing to me and then so I mean it really affects my whole day every day now I walk down the street and I just see like all these people and I just think wow I wonder what sort of stories they're they're holding and what has happened through their life and the ability that they still have to sort of walk down the street and sometimes like smile or like do stuff and it's just amazing it's, it's come up quite a lot in the conversations I've had this sort of idea that like it's that um I mean so if you look at the world it's sometimes amazing that just everybody in the world isn't just completely and utterly depressed about everything because there's so <laughs> yeah. much there if you listen to everything you're told if you listen to everything you see in the news if you listen to sort of society around you there can be so much to weigh you down but actually if you can sort of tap into something inside yourself, you can access this 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 wisdom that actually the world is a beautiful place. It's just you sometimes have to look hard before you can realise that. And I think what I've really come place I come to understanding is the contrast, the contrast of life that we have the beautiful and we have. What was it I read the other day? Something about dark darkness is not the opposite of light it's the absence of light I think that was when I was listening to Marianne Williamson and and I thought yeah that's really powerful and like so when I have don't get me wrong I have days when I don't feel okay I have days when I I think just even Sunday like I come back from Costa Rica I could feel my mindset going rain England God depressed and then I allowed the thought to be I noticed the thought and I thought, I thought about the thinking because we—that's the craziness of thinking. You think about your thinking, um, and I was like, "Oh, okay, that's the thoughts I'm having," and I'll just allow myself to be in it. Maybe on Sunday, I'm supposed to visit someone. I was like, "No, I'm having a pity party day," and just allowing myself to be in that. And then Monday coming back, and instead of it having a huge meaning, it still happened, but I didn't give it all of that meaning. Like, oh my God, I'm gonna get depressed again. I'm gonna. Because when you're in, in depression, it's very dark and you don't sometimes feel you're ever going to come out of that. And that's, that's what I love now is knowing that nothing is a permanent state of being. Nothing. Yeah, it might exactly. last well, um, a long... Sorry, go on. Oh, no, I was just saying like what we were talking about before we started doing this, uh, the recording, how the thing, one of the things that really helped me was being able to reframe 
life from a linear trajectory towards just a more circular thing where, yeah, sometimes I feel bad. Oh, I don't know if bad is a good word to do, but sometimes I feel really depressed and then sometimes I don't. And realising that the more I can understand that, the shorter the amount of time that when I do feel depressed, I feel like that because I, even in the midst of it, when I feel as shit as I possibly feel, I now have this knowledge that I didn't used to have that maybe tomorrow or maybe next week I won't feel like this and I'll feel really good. But also realising that when I feel this in that sort of really sort of um, content place that that also probably won't last forever and that's, and that's, and that's also helps not trying to cling on to that so much because the, the act of clinging on to happiness, <laughs> whatever that means, is... I mean, I guess we're getting into, like, Buddhist stuff there, but that is sort of the thing which then tips you back over into the other thing. It's that cycle of craving. And um, and I think just changing out of a linear idea of that I need to constantly be working towards feeling happier and happier and happier, that that idea doesn't exist, that that's not real and that's not realistic, that really helps paradoxically to make me feel more content and happy. Yeah, no, I, I, I really get that. And when we work with the teenagers in school, um, we have a, a, like a metaphor of the sun and the clouds. So ultimately, we say like your innate wisdom is the, is the sunshine and then the thought processes can be like the clouds so that they're, they're temporary and they come and they go. And then sometimes there's a storm, sometimes they, they pass quickly, sometimes they're there for a long time um and happiness is a state an emotional state like joy or anger they're emotional states and then the sunshine is your innate well-being that you're innately well so the innate wellness is is a is a feeling an essence a state and then the other things are all all of the kind of emotions on top of that so you can imagine working with 20 teenagers how they can have 50 states in, in, in one day when you work with them for a whole day. Up, down, cry, tears, anger. Because, and a toddler, if you look at a toddler, that's what they do. And that's that, that we've just learned as we grow older to maybe not express that in such a way as, as a teenager or, or a toddler. And um, I think, I think what, what's great about it all as well is just being able to come like, have I'm grateful for the, for every experience I've had in my life. I really am grateful, and I feel like um, some of them I wouldn't wish on anyone. But I'm grateful for them now, and I'm I'm grateful for the, for the depression, and and because I now can see that that was an experience that I had, and it's important that I talk about it, and. We all talk about it, and I'm I'm, I'm honoured to talk about it with you. And I think the conversation that you're having and going around having, particularly my own brother believed his thoughts, and he committed suicide when he was 24. And that had every day I probably think on some level about that. I was only young at the time; I was 16, but that has a huge impact. And and 
there's so many families in suffering for that and if we could just maybe show people that your thoughts are temporary and not to take an action prisons are full up with people that took an action based upon a thought that wasn't true necessarily by something that they've been shown from society or that they think there's no other solution um so it's kind of like when I saw your your Instagram and your podcasts and that and I thought yeah that's a great thing you're doing and for men to step forward into that as well so, so powerful so powerful because you know it the biggest killer of of young people and young men it's not drugs not stabbing not um alcohol it's suicide yeah which I was is their thinking workshop in uh, with mental health first aid recently and yeah, the, the statistic that stuck with me was um yeah i think there's just under six thousand people a year take their life wow and just under about 1,500 people a year die in a car accident. Wow, I didn't... Know. And that was quite a, a bit... That figure was quite stuck with me because I guess there's so... I guess if, if, if you'd asked before, I'd think you're more likely to... I'd be more worried about being in a car than the fact that I'm actually, like, possibly, especially prone to depression or something, more likely to sort of, um, yeah, take your own life. And that that's a really poignant thing. And I guess the, there's a lot of a lot of action around road safety, a lot of stuff in <laughs> schools about road safety, about wearing seatbelts, about looking both ways when you cross the road. All, all that, all, there's, and a lot of money played into sort of making cars more secure, airbags and all these things. And so maybe if you could sort of have that sort of level of dedication to the thing which is, is killing thousands and thousands more people each year and I know it's not just men I know it's a it's it, it doesn't it's not a thing that just affects men but it is what are the, the figures I think it's like 12 men take their life every day I know there was a thing on this morning in the, on the UK TV which was saying they had didn't they they had the they had the models they had 84 oh yeah, the project 84 That's yeah really because good, it's yeah. 84 men a week um, kill themselves and it is it is from your thinking yes your external circumstances might be impacting on that but it, the, the life it, we live life on a out well not all of us but from an outside in perspective so when I get that I might feel better about myself I did that for years or if I just get there if I just get a degree, I'll feel better about myself. Oh, if I just get a partner, I'll feel better about myself. Oh, if I just buy a nice car, I'll feel better about myself. What a load of bull crap that all was. Because the inside feeling was available to me at any time. Now I don't have a big, fat, nice car or a partner or a big house. But this is the happiest and at peace I've been because I understand that it's an inside-out experience so there's lots of things around, you know, like you can go out and you could get on the bus and the bus driver's grumpy and he looks at you and you'll be like, oh, he's having a bad day. And another day you'll be like, oh, what don't, what's wrong with your attitude, man? But same situation, same bus driver having a bad day. So it's just, and, and it's not saying that you're always going to feel like that. Don't get me wrong. Someone pushed me on the tube the other day and I was like, don't effing push me. 
because I became out of my well-being for an instant and a moment and then I sort of laughed and I went oh I'm really sorry because I knew really but it's it's just it's just kind of like coming back to that that place and and um I was at a conference a resilient young minds conference last week where the message from that we're saying is no one is broken and we're coming into school and we're trying to teach this understand well we are teaching we're not trying we aren't teaching this understanding of thought to young entrepreneurs because how do you have an entrepreneurial mindset you have an entrepreneurial mindset when you think anything is possible so we could teach you to write a cv we can teach you to apply for a job we can teach you interview skills i can teach you how to pass an exam i can teach you that but unless you believe innately that you are well and anything is possible for you, whether you feel okay or you don't feel okay, then all the rest of it is pointless. But if we add on the thought understanding to whatever else you're trying to do, anything's possible. And young people say that to us. They say things like, oh, I knew it really, and now I don't have to just get a job. I can feel I can have a, do, have a career or not. They'll say things, you know, like around about how they can live in a family where they all shout at each other and they can still feel at peace. They feel more inclined to understand the constraint of school. I mean, the education in England, I don't know if it's like it in America, but the education system in England is, hasn't changed for over 100 years. Well, look at the rest of technology. Look at everything else in life, how much that's changed. Education is connected to politics, to the political process. It shouldn't happen like that. Teachers never know where they're at. Every four years, they've got to listen to some other theory of someone who's never sat in a, in a, in a school. Or they've been in a private school, probably. They haven't been in that, in that, in that school system constantly changing everything but when we do that when everything if we keep people all anxious and changed what can they never do they can never settle down they can never settle into their wisdom so let's change the curriculum let's change this let's make rents high let's we're all in a state of anxiety never able to settle down and we can say oh i blame the government but the government is only a the government is only made up of people like you and me so we all have the power to change whatever the government are doing. And education, in my view, as an ex-secondary school teacher, um, I was a, de- a deputy of a, a, a business studies and IT department, I, I believe that education should be left to the teachers and, the, and if necessary, the unions, because they're the ones that know. And if we can bring into that some holistic thought understanding Imagine, because the people who are doing that, like the, the, I hate the word professional, because I think, what does that even mean? But if we say the people that are helping, helpers, they're probably the most unwell out of everybody, because they're never given time and space. So we're all focusing on the child's well, child to be well. Why, why is there so much mental health amongst young people? Because all the people that are educating and supposed to be taking care of them probably are pretty unwell themselves. Yeah, so if you're trying to pass on wisdom about well-being to someone from a place where you're not coming from a place of uh, where you're fostering good well-being in yourself, then you're essentially passing on the 
how, whatever your intentions are, you're still passing on the, the idea that self-care isn't okay. You can't tell someone you need to look after yourself but not look after yourself because you're not being a role model. But, so, I don't, but that isn't to criticise the people that are doing yeah. the help. I think the system is set up in a way that makes it incredibly difficult for people in like, in caring and helping roles to teachers yeah. and social workers yeah. and anyone who works in the helping has come to that place because that's what they want to do and the the sad thing about it is is that they're not supported and it's not seen as important to take care of the people that are taking care of our young people that's a massive thing to be doing so like this kind of training in this understanding the three principles understanding is that you find the wisdom and the well-being for yourself and then you're able to go out and train and and teach and have conversations like you're having around well-being and and just allow someone because most of us just need a space for someone to listen to us and then allow our own answers to come up and our own insights to come up into that and I think we get into a place of if we get into a place of criticizing, particularly social workers who really do get criticized a lot, and it's their everything is their responsibility. So it says, no, it's not just the social worker's responsibility; it's everyone's responsibility as a member of society to take care of each other. It's not the social worker's responsibility to do that. Yes, it is in in their generic duty, say, or the doctors, but. We can't just keep pointing the finger and blaming. We have to kind of take extreme ownership of our society and take a look and think, right, what? let's stop looking at what's broken and look towards what's working. And the things that work are the things when we all know that we're innately well. Because if if, if um, a lady that I work with, Elizabeth, she said it at, the co- at, at our training yesterday, hurt people hurt people. Mm. Or... You know, if I'm in a place of pain and anxiety, I can't see the wellness with you. I'll pass that on to you. If I don't heal my, how I'm presenting in the world, I'll pass it on as a parent. Yeah, and I I hold my hands up. I pass some of my depression and anxiety on to my son. That was one of the scripts I gave to him. We talk about it now. All of us can only do the best with what we know in any given moment. And then as our under- we become more different understanding, and I, and I, it's very easy to disregard and sort of go, well, I don't agree with that anymore. But if I hadn't have done NLP, EFT, psychotherapy... What's EFT? It's, it's an emotional freedom technique, it's okay. called, and it's where you tap your... It's to do with your... I can't, I, I can't really explain it properly, but you tap certain parts in your body which help you release things because if you look mind body soul how we live all together we're not walking around without any one of those things we we have to nurture all of them and um so all of those things led me to where i am today and when when we started working with a teenager she's 15 she says what makes you think that you're um qualified to teach us about life so how do you answer a teenager about that the only way to teach to show people 
and give your own insight is by telling stories. Stories are so powerful. Stories heal people. Because if I can relate to something you say to me, that story, then I recognise that in myself. And just being real with the teenagers, they realise that, and not coming from a hierarchical position, we don't say we're there as the professional better than you. We say we're coming here, you're teaching us and we're teaching you, but we're just showing you 30 years later what's worked for us. So if I can ease, not saying you're never going to have suffering, because you will have suffering, that's part of life. But what we're, what I'm saying is, if I can ease it and show you how to come back quicker to your innate wisdom and not spend 30 years in anxiety, yeah. depression, self-harm, that's that's a powerful message. That is. I think it's important to show that. that um, yeah, I, I think that message that there will be suffering stuff, but it's that understanding of what that means and that's part of life that helps you. Because I feel like most of life seems to end up being a journey of unlearning. And so if you can get to a point where you're maybe learning your own wisdom earlier, then there's less of that unlearning journey to do. And so that's that's good. It's important. I think what you're doing is important work. Oh, and thank I'm you. Glad. I think, yeah, that's good. Yeah, cool. thank is, you. Yeah. Is there anything else you, you want to add? No, to it's it, just lovely. It's been really lovely chatting to you. Um, um, I think your journey's really exciting. I think, mate, you know, I, I'm, I'm really happy to donate on your, what's it called? Patri- pa- Patreon. Patreon. Yeah. I think that's a fantastic way to go forward. Um, donating directly to someone who's out there doing something at grassroots levels that's that's fantastic and just showing you know I think it's it's exciting for people to show different ways to live and you know that there is always hope that's that's one of the things I live my life with there is always hope and if you can see the light in someone when they can't see it for themselves that is a powerful powerful thing you can do If you can see the light in someone when they can't see it for themselves, then that is a powerful, powerful thing that you can do. I really like that. I think that is something I really, really believe. It can be much harder for people to see that light and that sense of hope and that sense of their uniqueness in the world. And I think if you have that ability to see that in other people, then it's almost your responsibility to nurture that and to help people to to really be those people that they need to be I, I really really like Chrissy. I think the work that she does is really good um, I think uh, I wish there were more people like her in the world maybe there are lots and lots of them and I haven't met them yet but she seems to have a very very beautiful unique soul and a very very strong desire to help other people and, and I really like that um, yeah it's a really nice conversation so uh yeah hopefully i'll be seeing chrissy again soon um yeah so i'm gonna put some links down to um chrissy's uh website and which is fabulous thinking and her social media contacts so do get in contact with her if you want to find out more and also if you want to follow more about what i'm doing with my project the ministry of change uh then look at www.theministryofchange.org and also as Chrissy mentioned at the end I have my Patreon uh, which she kindly donated to and that is the thing which helps me to fund this podcast it's 
very small at the moment i don't get that much money but every little does help just thank you so much to all those people that have already supported it and uh yeah so i'll put i'll put a link down there below and please do like and subscribe and uh, share this podcast with other people you might be interested that really helps me as well so yeah thank you all thank you for listening um oh we're coming to the end of the year i'm going to try and get um i've got a few more that i'm in the process of editing that i'm going to try and get out or maybe get one or two more out before christmas and then a few beginning next year there's going to be a big change i'm actually being invited to spend the first three months of the year in um staying with a friend who runs a mindful leadership ski retreat place in the french alps and so i'm going to be staying there and i'm going to continue to do ministry of change stuff but it will no doubt take on a different form because I won't have my van and I won't be travelling around so much but definitely it will still be happening in some form or another I think it'll be a really good chance to just sort of land and ground myself over the winter and really sort of take uh, make use of the seasons and getting involved in other things to really bring more um, to nurture and uh let Ministry of Change grow how it needs to do and then after that when I get back I'm doing a storytelling course for a few months which is also going to feed into Ministry of Change more so yeah big exciting things coming up for 2019 2019 so yeah watch out for that space but as I said I'll try and get a couple more at least one more out before Christmas and uh, yeah but thank you very much for listening and I will see you back here soon Thank you very much.